0: Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not
1: be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more
0: information. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Briefly Legal, the podcast brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. I'm here in the Crow's Nest but not my normal Crow's Nest. I'm continuing my uh my trip down the Turnpike to our beautiful new Tulsa office. Uh, you'll recall from the last episode that I was talking to Mac Rosser, uh, my law partner, about this beautiful place, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't get away. I needed to stay and and uh, you know enjoy the digs even uh, more. And the reason I'm still here is that I'm, I'm talking to a couple other attorneys from our Tulsa office, and gonna be talking about some uh, real important developments in the area of um, Indian law. And so that, of course, means that I need to be talking to Mike McBride and uh, Greg. Buzzard, say hello to everybody out there, Mike. Good afternoon and welcome to Tulsa. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. Mm-hmm. Wonderful to be back. Thanks. Absolutely. Greg was one of our, uh, multi-time, uh, <laughs> guests. Uh, uh, we've gotten to know him uh, over those, including his, uh, his time spent on Jeopardy. If you ever, uh, want to hear a, a cool story of, uh, uh, you know, winning and losing, uh, you go back to one of our prior episodes and, and hear about Greg. He's a, he's, uh, an interesting, uh, got an interesting story to tell. So having, uh, Mike and Greg here today is, uh, you know, the perfect way to deal with such a complex, uh you know topic, and of course uh let's start with with mike he's the you know not only he does a tremendous job as the practice group leader for the Indian law and gaming section here at the firm but he also draws on real world experiences like. Being a former justice of the Pawnee Nation Supreme Court, and he was also a former chair of the Indian Law Sections, not only the Oklahoma Bar Association, but also for our Federal Bar Association. And then um, Greg is an indispensable member of the group that Mike chairs. Um, Greg is a, a citizen of uh, the Cherokee tribe, uh, and he is a, a graduate of uh, Yale University. Always proud to have uh, those uh, Ivy Leaguers amongst our our ranks. And then, um, uh, importantly, he was also uh, a, a clerk for two years for uh, Judge uh, Viking uh, a federal district judge in uh, South Dakota, where, uh, you know, in uh, along with Oklahoma, uh, a lot of important uh, Indian law is made. So, uh, you know, impressive credentials for both of you. Glad that you're here. The story we're going to talk about today is going to be kind of an offshoot about something that we've talked about several different times. That's the McGirt Decision from the uh, Supreme Court of the United States, but uh, more specifically, now we're going to be talking about a decision that was handed down by the current composition of the Supreme Court, and that is the Castro Huerta case, uh, handed down on June 9th of uh, this year. Um, Really important case, not only in terms of uh, the lasting impact of McGirt, but really uh, could have some collateral impact as well, which I think we've learned from watching uh, McGirt unspool here in the last couple of years. So let's kick things off, uh, Greg, and, and I'll, I'll jump to you. Um, you've done it enough for me over these uh, episodes, so but I'm going to ask you to do it again because I don't think we can ever truly understand some of these post-McGirt cases and their impact without revisiting McGirt itself. So let's let's start there. Remind us what it was and. And why it's so important to this discussion? Absolutely.
1: Uh, like you were saying, this all sort of builds off the original McGirt decision, which held that uh, the Muskogee Creek Nation Reservation uh, here in eastern Oklahoma uh, was never disestablished by Congress and continues to exist. And uh, Following that decision, the Oklahoma state courts, the Court of Criminal Appeals in particular, held uh, that five other reservations here in eastern Oklahoma continue to exist. Anyone who lives on a reservation lives in what is called Indian country under federal law, and that has you know a, a whole host of implications, particularly in the field of criminal law, which is where the McGurk case came out of. Um, Persons who commit crime on a reservation can be subject to state, tribal, or federal jurisdiction depending on who's committing the crime and who's the victim of the crime. And so that kind of leads us into Castro Huerta. Now in McGirt, uh, both the criminal and the victim were Native Americans. They were citizens of tribal nations, which led to uh, automatic federal jurisdiction because of the nature of the crime itself. But in Castro Huerta, we have a bit of a, a different shuffling of, of the facts. Um, Mr. Castro Huerta, you know, the named party, uh, is a non-Indian person residing here in the Tulsa area who was the step-parent to a Native American child, a tribal okay. citizen. And Mr. Castro Huerta – uh, was convicted of just severely neglecting his Native American stepdaughter, um, who was disabled. I believe she was five years old and was found by the police, you know, in just a state of emaciation, weighing under twenty pounds. Oh, just horrible, terrible facts. You know, this man was clearly. You know, abusing the stepdaughter by neglect, and he was convicted in the Oklahoma state courts for that offense. But because of the way federal law operates, or used to operate prior to Castro Huerta, his conviction was overturned in the state courts, and he was going to be prosecuted by the federal courts for the same offense. Um, under the theory that because his victim was Native American, there was exclusive federal jurisdiction, meaning the state could not Prosecute him for that offense, so he was going to be prosecuted in in federal court, and so that case came out of the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals, and the state of Oklahoma uh, petitioned to bring it before the United States Supreme Court on the argument that no, actually, the state should have concurrent jurisdiction over this offense, shared jurisdiction mm-hmm. with the federal courts, and that's what led us to castro So that, that
2: yeah 30, ahead, 35 years uh, was his sentence in state court but seven
0: years in federal court so mm-hmm. Oklahoma, big difference you
2: know wanted to take
0: that up yeah you could see why there, there'd be that interest and and so then segueing then to you mike we have this situation where already the, the McGirt decision created a you know a lot of shockwaves um big big huge changes to um kind of how uh the the federal response and the tribal response was going to be in the in these situations but uh, it looks like this is you know the holding of this decision and the composition of the Supreme Court really uh, may have taken some of the wind out of the sails of McGirt so tell us what happened at the Supreme Court level
2: well, uh, first, I, w- I would say that Oklahoma was looking for opportunities to try to chip away at McGirt, and they appealed about 20 different cases, maybe 40, uh, where they sought Sir Sherry. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those were turned away um, saying that you know McGirt applied, um, but they, they accepted Castro Huerta, and uh, it was decided on June 29th of uh, 2022, and it was the last case that Stephen Breyer – Heard is a Supreme Court justice before he retired, and he's now been replaced by Conchie uh, Brown Jackson. Indeed, yes. Um, but the important composition change uh, between McGirt and uh, Castro Huerta was that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, and Amy Comey Barrett came on, and the 5-4 to four decision in, in McGirt um swung the other way in Castro Huerta, uh, five to four in favor of Oklahoma. And basically the holding was that um, the federal government and the state have concurrent jurisdiction uh, to prosecute crimes that are committed uh, by non-Indians against Indians in Indian country. And that was the the core holding of uh, Castro Huerta.
0: And I take it that that was, well, there's, there's, if not, Specific holdings. There's at least been a lot of dicta, perhaps hundreds of years of, of dicta that said that might not be the outcome you would have expected. Is that is that fair? Uh, uh, you know, when when you, when you're viewing it from the outside.
2: Well, it it depends on which side you ask. I, that's uh, fair you know, enough. As, yeah. as, as a student and practitioner of federal Indian law, you know, for 30 years now, um, it, it was a, a great understanding going back to the Marshall trilogy of cases in the 1830s. That um, Indian tribes, uh, you know, their their Indian country was separate and apart from uh, the state, and that was the assumption uh, throughout time. And Castro Huerta majority, uh, written by uh, Justice Kavanaugh, held that the previous cases, such as Wor- Worcester versus Georgia, um, that was just dicta, and that actually state sovereignty. Meant that an Indian tribe uh, within the the state, um, the, the the state could still have concurrent jurisdiction over, over the uh,
0: over those crimes. So I, I guess this, uh, Greg, this is probably one of those interesting situations there where Judge Gorsuch, who had been uh, penned the holding in McGirt, now found himself writing a vigorous dissent. Did he kind of key in on some of those issues that Mike's talking about there, or, or how did he handle it? Oh. Absolutely. I mean, the dissent is, you know, a good 15 page
1: uh, pages longer than the majority opinion. You know, exactly for that reason, because there had been a, a long historical tradition, I mean, 200 years of separation between Indian country and state jurisdiction. And, you know, as the majority pointed out, those boundaries have become blurred over time, right? We no longer adhere to the idea that Tribal nations on their reservations are wholly independent from the state. But it was still quite shocking because the majority opinion basically flipped sort of the presumption. The presumption has long been the state sort of has to prove why it has jurisdiction. And Justice Gorsuch explained that long tradition, you know, which is supported by 200 years of case law. And in the majority in Castro Huerta, Justice Kavanaugh said, well, no, it should be the other way. The state has jurisdiction over what's going on in Indian country unless there is federal preemption, some explicit federal law, or some very strong tribal and federal interest that would displace the state jurisdiction. And that is really, you know, uh, it's a big change. And Justice Gorsuch was not shy about pointing it out.
2: It, it really flipped the understanding on its head. Right. It's, the, it's, it's in a lot
1: of ways the exact opposite.
0: Well, and you mentioned the, these, uh, the interests. And, mm-hmm. and, and Mike, I understand that there's a kind of a balancing test that gets imposed within Castro Huerta that was not unheard of. It had been used in other contexts, but this was perhaps a unique place to see that used. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, there's a case
2: called uh, White Mountain Apache Tribe versus Bracker. From about 1980, and it dealt with uh, taxes, and uh, that was where the the Bracker balancing test first came about, where you would look at the the federal and tribal interest as opposed to the state interest uh, that have a balancing test to, to see w- which one was was most important. And um, here, for the first time, they applied a, a balancing test to a criminal case, and uh, it, it was really shocking to a lot of uh, Indian law practitioners and uh, scholars, you know, to, to see that flipped around.
0: Uh, Greg, did you have a similar reaction to that? And, and does it does – it, do you see that happen – could it happen in other contexts?
1: Well, absolutely. I, w- I was surprised. I mean criminal jurisdiction is a part of the law where you need clear boundaries. You know, you need to know who can arrest, who can prosecute, who can punish, what jail – you know, is the offender going to? So to now have a situation where we're sort of doing this balancing test, like, well, what's the state interest? What's the federal interest? What's the tribal interest?
2: Uh, you know, that just seems difficult and unwieldy. And, 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 and to add on to that, I mean, we've, we've litigated some of these balancing tests and it's factually intensive. It requires a lot of legal resources. Expensive. Absolutely.
0: And time-consuming. For the courts, litigants, and lawyers. Yeah, not not an arena criminal law where you would think that would be where you'd want to infuse that kind of test, cut and it, dry. Yeah, right, right. Well, and, and and there's other factors out there too. I've I've heard some discussion of. Um, uh, Public Law 280, uh, you know, talk about that, Mike, and, and uh, you know, the the impact that'll have uh, as it relates to states being able to kind of work cooperatively with the consent of a tribe. And, and what, what what happens now in light of this decision? Well, Public Law 280 was, a,
2: was first passed by Congress in 1953, and it, it happened during a, during a policy era uh, that was called termination, in which uh, Congress was passing a lot of laws um, that were uh, kind of hurtful to tribes. Some tribes were written out of existence by the stroke of the pen. But Public Law 280 basically um, gave states an opportunity to um, seek jurisdiction over Indian country, civil and criminal. And a number of states uh, exercised uh, the um, the provisions of Public Law 280 to assume jurisdiction in, in Indian country. And there were ways that you could do that. Um, by, by following the, the strictures of the law. Things changed and policies changed in, in the 1960s uh, towards uh, you know, the Indian Civil Rights Act time period. There were amendments in 1968 that, that changed Public Law 280 that said that if a state wanted to assume criminal or civil jurisdiction in Indian country, then it had to obtain the consent of the tribe. I see. And it's, it's been that way ever since. And Public Law um, 280, you know, was well understood by uh, practitioners and and by the the criminal bar, you know, that that's the way that you would assume jurisdiction in Indian country. But I can tell you, since 1968, no tribe has ever consented to giving up jurisdiction. I uh, see. As a matter of fact, you know the opposite has happened numerous times where a state
1: retrocedes jurisdiction over Indian country back to the federal government and the tribes
2: right right know. justice is, is expensive, and a lot of states realize you know it 's going to cost a lot of a lot of uh, law enforcement resources, criminal justice resources to you know patrol those areas and prosecute right well this, it, you
1: know this was such an interesting thing. the reason public law two eighty came up in Castro Huerta. Was because it just makes no sense for the Supreme Court to now say, "Well, the state had concurrent jurisdiction this whole time. Then what did we need Public Law Two Eighty Right. Exactly. Right. right. We had this pathway for a state to assume criminal jurisdiction in Indian country if that was the desire of of the parties, of the state, of the tribe, of the federal government. Um, and so it's just a little. And you know, Castro Huerta made this argument to the Supreme Court. You know, if what you're considering is concurrent state jurisdiction, there's a way to get it. Congress right. has made provisions for it. Um, you know, the Supreme Court just—they were not convinced. Uh, just as Kavanaugh wrote, that just because this one law existed, uh, did not mean that the original textual meaning of the relevant statutes could be overridden. And so it—you know—it just was an argument that gained a lot of traction at the Supreme
0: Court. Well, and it's just interesting to me as well that we're talking about an Oklahoma case, but the impact of it. And the way that states interact with tribes in their, you know, within the jurisdictions, you know, it's different for for each of these uh, places. I, yeah, I'm, I'm imagining that what we're describing here in uh, as a holding in Oklahoma might not be viewed uh, the same way in, say, South Dakota. Well, th- that's it exactly. You know, and and I clerked for a federal
1: judge in South Dakota, and I can tell you uh, this will be received very differently the Oklahoma reservations post McGirt are very unique. You know, we're talking about huge chunks of land with large non-native majorities. But in South Dakota, the reservations are, you know, more along the lines of what folks think of when you think of reservations that are 95% plus native. um, Contiguous. Contiguous, right, you know, very separate areas of land from state authority and where the states have not tried to, you know, press their authority Uh, because of, you know, historical and longstanding conflicts between state and tribal authorities. And so the idea that in South Dakota, for example, that South Dakota police and prosecutors are now going to be, you know, handling crime in any sense on, for example, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. I mean, it's just laughable. Right. You know, it's been the site of multiple violent conflicts between state, federal and tribal, you know, entities. It's just this solution in Castro Huerta that appears to have been tailor-made for the situation in Oklahoma. Is going to have very different impacts in other parts of Indian country.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the differences because I think Mike, you may have mentioned this in, in pre-production, but I, I think in Oklahoma, you're, you're talking about potentially 43 percent of the, the the land in Oklahoma is potentially you know reservation land and uh, up to I I think the numbers were you know a couple million people within that area. In fact, I think That's as we right. sit here. Right now, here in the the new Crow office here in Tulsa, we're on reservation land. Is that right? The Creek Reservation right here, about two or three blocks over there, is the Cherokee
2: Reservation. And if you go uh, a little bit to the northwest of here, the Osage uh, have their mineral reservation.
0: Which makes for entirely different considerations, I would think, when you're taking huge swaths of metropolitan area versus what you described in, in South Dakota. Is that is that fair, Mike? Absolutely. Yeah. You
2: know, one thing I, I would also point out um, that Justice Gorsuch uh, writes in his dissent is that um, Oklahoma um, was required through the uh, enabling act and uh, to have in their constitution a disclaimer of jurisdiction over Indian country, and um, you know that's in our constitution, that's in the enabling act and the organic acts, and that seems to get ignored uh, relative to this assumption that there's state sovereignty over Indian country, and I and I just want to say that you know I really think that. This whole balancing test is going to be uh, fraught with uh, problems and make it very hard and unworkable um, to to apply this test.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, as we kind of think about future considerations uh, and, and implications for this, Greg, kind of carrying off that thought from Mike, you know, do you see – that Bracker tests, you know, having other uh, impacts in in, even in other areas? Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, uh, sort of a huge question we've sort of touched on a little bit in prior McGirt podcast is taxation in Indian country. Mm -hmm. Um, The Oklahoma Tax Commission very recently within the last couple of weeks issued a decision saying that the state has power to tax uh, Indians who derive their uh, income from Indian country. And they made that You know, determination based on their interpretation of Castro Huerta, but that's flatly contradictory of a long line of Supreme Court cases.
2: Second Fox Nation versus uh, Oklahoma Tax Commission, 1993.
1: I was going to say tax cases that come out of Oklahoma. Oklahoma has tried this exact maneuver before. And now, uh, because of Castro Huerta, the idea is well, the Supreme Court has said states have jurisdiction in Indian country presumptively until displaced by some other source of federal law. Right. Um, And, you know, that's a decision that came out of our Oklahoma State Tax Commission that's going to be appealed to the state Supreme Court. And the state Supreme Court is really going to have to grapple with that. How do you reconcile Castro Huerta's brand new approach with? Decades going back a 100 years of tax cases. And that's just one area that we're going to be looking at this.
2: And Greg and I just received a copy of a decision today um, that was decided last Friday by the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals. It's Oklahoma versus Harry William Hole Jr., that directs the parties to file a supplemental briefing on the basis of Castro Huerta. And this is a case that involves a a. Native American that committed a crime on the reservation, and it's not an Indian victim, it's an Indian perpetrator, and which is a different scenario than exactly. Castro Huerta. Yeah. Right. That's the McGirt scenario.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, now, now we're back to McGirt again, right. Mm. And now the Court of Criminal Appeals is saying,
1: well, we know this is the McGirt scenario, but now, based on Castro Huerta, do we have a basis to change our views? Wow. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a,
0: a new, it's a new paradigm we're all, Going to have to be dealing. So with. So they're accepting briefing on it, and potentially there could be a different outcome altogether. There was already a dissent on this uh,
2: remand order. Uh, <laughs> one one, right. one of the one of the judges on the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals said no. Um, McGirt applies, and we shouldn't be getting into that. Um, the others say no. You know, we need to send it down. So there's already a dissension
0: appearing in, on our. Court of Criminal Appeals something tells me we're going to be keeping SCOTUS busy for a a few years to come (laughs) certainly possible yeah yeah and it'll be interesting to see like say uh, Judge Jackson hasn't weighed in uh, don't Don't think we have any discernible ideas uh, uh, about where she might land on that, Mike. Are you aware?
2: That's right. She doesn't. She has a a scant record. Uh, I I think there may have been some administrative cases in the D.C. Circuit, but remember, she wasn't up there for very long either.
0: That's right. And and this is not necessarily the kind of topic where you can just really. You know, cut it down, alleged party lines, right? I mean, we we have seen Gorsuch with a, a scintillating dissent here, and having penned the the original McGirt decision, and those are uh, that. And of course, I think we knew that going in, based on his record in tenth circuit, that might be where he'd land. But but it's going to be interesting to see where some of these new players will. You know, I was going to mention Amy Comey Barrett, uh, Justice
2: Barrett. I, I think is still a, a real key player in the way these cases are going to go, and. She had kind of a scant Indian law background, and uh, but she seems kind of practical, like we saw with the Cooley case that was decided last term, and she asked questions and uh, you know joined the, the unanimous court to to find that a, a peace officer had jurisdiction on the the Crow tribe uh, reservation you know yeah. to stop and detain a, a non-Indian.
0: So stay tuned. that Everyone's views may develop as, as these, uh, at times, contrary decisions, at, at least um, when looking at past precedent, continue to be uh, be churned out. Um, any other practical implications? We talked about the tax, obviously the criminal law aspect of it. Anything else as you guys stare into the, uh, the looking glass that we might see? I think
2: this is going to embolden uh, state sovereignty and efforts to continue to take cases up, to continue to chip away at at McGirt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Castro Huerta
1: is a blueprint for especially state government opponents of tribal sovereignty to, like you were saying, Mike, to chip away
2: at Decades of law that they see as inconvenient to the exercise of state sovereignty. Speaking of blueprints, uh, Justice Gorsuch also provides a blueprint at the end of his uh, <laughs> dissent on uh, how Congress could fix uh, the situation. Yeah, Justice Gorsuch has strong views. <laughs> and, and there have already been uh, 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 congressional hearings on Castro Huerta.
0: Yeah, yeah. So stay tuned, as I know you guys will. It's one of the reasons I, I, I have you guys on speed dial when these kinds of issues come up. Um, that's that's we've tapped out the time that we have today, but I, I have no doubt that we'll be returning to these issues and others as we continue to watch. Um, uh, you know, not only McGirt and and its contours get defined, but really its progeny and all the cases that follow, as, as, as we watch its impact not only on Oklahoma but really uh, you know Indian country all across the United. States. So really appreciate that you guys have this expertise that you bring to bear and that you are constantly vigilant about, you know, what's happening, uh, not only for our clients, but really for our communities and our state. So, uh, much appreciated, uh, to both of you. So, um, we'll, we'll draw to a close and, uh, uh, this will end my time, uh, here at the, the wonderful new, uh, offices of Crow and Dunleavy in Tulsa. I'll, I'll, I'll miss them and I'll think about, uh, uh them when I'm in my own office, which is a beautiful office at the, at the brand, historic Braniff building, in Oklahoma City, but it's certainly been, I, wonderful I, I to be love here. your office, Adam. I, well, thanks. <laughs> beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Thanks for making me feel better about it. But um, for everybody out there, all our wonderful listeners, um, I hope that you uh, stay safe and uh, take care. And I just want to uh, thank you for uh, tuning in again to listen to what we have to offer to all of you. And thanks for spending time with all of us here on Briefly Legal.